ladies and gentlemen, it finally happened. Brooklyn. What is going on, Nets fans? It is once again your boy, Neil Villapiano, and welcome to another exciting edition of the Bridge to the Nets podcast right here on the Basketball Podcast Network, the number one place to get everything you need to know about your Brooklyn Nets. Hope you guys are having a fantastic day. Other than, you know, health-wise, because I'm, I'm dealing with a little bit of a cold, so if I do sound nasally, I do apologize. But other than that, I, I got I, you can't help but feel excited about what transpired over the last couple of days. And, and all of you at this point know what I'm talking about, but we were, are still going to obviously talk about it. Um, but I hope you guys are having a fantastic day wherever you're listening to these podcast episodes. Thank you guys, as always, for taking time out of your day to check these episodes out. I really, really do appreciate it 100%. This uh, edition of the Bridge to the Nets podcast and everything we do here at the Basketball Podcast Network are sponsored by the awesome people over at DraftKings Sportsbook. With March Madness going on right now, we're currently in the Sweet 16. There are so many great opportunities from DraftKings to get huge, huge cash prizes. So when you sign up for DraftKings, use our promo code TBPN and tell them Neil Villapiano sent you. So to give you just a quick rundown of what we're going to be discussing, we're going to be recapping the last three games and that's played against Portland, Utah, Memphis, we're going to be looking ahead to the upcoming week with games against Miami, Charlotte, uh, the Detroit Pistons, and then the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge. But considering the news that we got with Kyrie Irving, uh, I think uh, we're going to be in a little bit better of a shape. Um, we're going to be doing that. We're going to be talking about what obviously transpired back on Wednesday afternoon, early evening that just came out of nowhere. And then. We're going to give you a really important update on Ben Simmons because I think it really kind of shows that Ben Simmons may be a lot closer to actually playing than we originally thought. So, as always, we have a bunch to talk about here on the Bridge to the Nets podcast, so let's not waste any more time and tip this one off. So we'll start with the recaps. We'll just quickly get through them, and then we'll get to what I would consider to be the main, main point of this episode. So we'll start with the game against the Portland Trailblazers back uh, last Friday. So I was recording the last episode um, just a couple hours before that game against Portland. And you knew it was going to be an important – you knew, obviously, you, you needed to win that game. I mean, let's call it like it is. The Nets really can't afford to lose basically any more games the rest of the way. I mean, they really can't. They have to find a way to win as many of these games as possible to give themselves a really, really good chance to make a run at, you know, best case scenario, potentially getting the sixth seed and not, not even having to play in the play-in round. But, you know, in the worst case scenario, which also could be good, is to get the seventh seed and be at home against whoever it is, might be Toronto or somebody like that, in the first of potentially two play-in games. And you look at this game from the Nets' perspective, and once again, Kevin Durant was the man. There was no question about it. Dropping 38 points, he passed um, Jerry West for 11th all-time on the NBA scoring list. Kevin Durant right now is still, without a doubt, the best player in the NBA. I mean, this guy routinely scores at will. And you could throw so many different matchups at him, and he's always going to find a way 
to score. And once again, Kevin Durant decided to do the, um, you know, what you call the, uh, the celebration there where he does the teeny thing. I think he's doing it like almost now, I think every game, especially when he's going up against people that are much shorter than he is. Um, it was really, really important for the Nets to get this win. And I will say that it was a lot closer than it really should have been considering the fact that you look at, you know, the Blazers didn't have Nurkic. They didn't have uh, Dame Lillard. CJ McCollum got traded to, New Orleans, there was a lot of, you know, things going against this Portland team who, to be fair, was coming up blowing out the Knicks and Madison Square Garden the night before. But the Nets were able to lock it down and come away with a 128 to 123 win over the Portland Trailblazers. Kevin Durant, 38-6 and 6. Seth Curry, 27-3-2, Dragic adding 9 points, 2 rebounds, 10 assists, a, a point away from a double-double. Bruce Brown continuing to be absolutely phenomenal. 17 points in this game, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, and Andre Drummond having a really, really good game as well. So, again, getting that win against Portland, very, very vital, and a good way to kind of start this, um, you know, the week moving forward, because you know that games are going to get tougher Moving forward, although the Nets have one of the weakest schedules, you know, in terms of strength of schedule moving forward this year, there's still going to be some tough matchups against teams that are going to be in the playoffs and maybe even potentially a matchup or two against the team that could very well they could face in the playoffs um, once we get to that point. So it's important, though, just from the standpoint to get these guys to winning these games and having success and going from there. So, yeah. Really, really good win for the Nets. Again, probably a lot closer than it should have been, but the way that I look at it, at the end of the day, a win is a win. Now, before I go to the next game against Utah, there was something that was kind of interesting that I actually wanted to give Andre Drummond credit for. It was, it was, and I'm not like against what he said because he was just being realistic. When he spoke to the media prior to the game against, uh, I believe it was against Utah, uh, he said straight up, he doesn't expect to probably be back in Brooklyn after the season is over. Like he fully expects to be somewhere else. You have to remember that Andre Drummond took the veterans minimum when he signed with uh, the Philadelphia 76ers because the year before when he was in LA, he really, really didn't play all that well. So he wasn't getting a whole lot of suitors for a decent amount of money. Now you're looking at how well he's played with, you know, Philadelphia 76ers. And then certainly also what he's been able to do here with the Nets, he is probably going to get a decent amount of money in the offseason from somebody. I don't know who, but somebody. The Nets really don't have a whole lot of um, money to, to dish out. I mean, that was one of the reasons why they couldn't get, they couldn't keep Jeff Green last season uh, because all they could really do was offer him the veterans minimum. Now, I did see that there was also another type of veterans minimum that the Nets could offer Drummond, which is something along the lines of like $11, 12000000 million. But if Drummond gets a better offer somewhere else, I, I don't expect him to, you know, stay in Brooklyn. Uh, Drummond also mentioned the fact that, look, you got a guy like Nick Claxton who, you know, the expectation should be that he should be the full-time starter, um, you know, down the road in his career. And you could see how the Nets didn't end up trading Claxton at the deadline, although they were trying to. I mean, they, they were trying to move him, but they just couldn't get an offer that they liked. So that was something um, 
that definitely was noticeable. Um, so we all asked the question of like, well, how is this going to work with now Drummond and also Claxton? And uh, Steve Nash is, is sort of, you know, getting the rotations, but still he's making rotation uh, decisions that I'm, I'm 100% uh, against. And I'll talk about that in greater detail as we move forward in this episode. But you just look at the fact that Drummond was just being very honest about the situation. It kind of goes from there. So, you know, would I love the Nets to be able to keep Drummond? Absolutely. Do I think that they will? Probably not. But the other thing you have to remember is that this, the Nets do have a couple of first round picks that they got from Philadelphia and they still have Claxton. If a big time center becomes available, and I don't know who that is, if a big time center becomes available, the Nets could actually offer a pretty intriguing package to that team with a couple of first round picks and a still very young and developing center in a guy like Nick Claxton. Um, who I call Diet Jared Allen because, you know, he does have the makings to be kind of like that, but he's not Jared Allen. That's the way that I call um, Nick Claxton. And I don't mean that with disrespect. It's just the talent level between where Jared Allen is at and was at even with the Nets and where Claxton is and probably what his ceiling actually is kind of, you know, I think you could kind of understand where I'm coming from. So again, I respect the fact that, um, that Drummond was so honest about the situation and what he expects moving forward. But again, very much like the fact that he's been with this team and he's continuing to, to do a lot of good things. And again, when you look at the game that he played against the, um, against the Blazers, he was able to get nine rebounds. Again, I call him this generation's round mound of rebound because he constantly is getting rebounds. And remember, I talked about this before on the podcast that uh, for the last five years, Andre Drummond has been the best rebounder in the NBA. And I wanted so badly the Nets to get him last season when he was bought out and made available to sign a veterans minimum with somebody. We ended up signing LaMarcus Aldridge. Drummond went to L.A. Now it's just kind of funny that Aldridge and Drummond are now on the same team. But now everybody's getting to see what I was already seeing from Drummond. This guy gets rebounds. This guy just is unmovable down low. And that's what makes him so important. So again, I obviously hope that the Nets can make a long run, a championship run with Drummond here because I know that he can create those opportunities. If he's getting 10 to 15 rebounds a night, he's giving guys like Kyrie Irving, uh, Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Patty Mills, Cam Thomas, the list goes on and on. LaMarcus Aldridge, guys, multiple opportunities in one possession in the offensive zone to knock down a shot. And that was something that Drummond even mentioned before. He said, look, they're missing their shots. I got them on the rebounds. I can give them another opportunity or two to score. And they're not going to miss two or three in a row like that. So that's kind of the thing there. But again, I think what I just said and talking about Drummond is not should not be a shock to any of them. It shouldn't be. He's he signed until the end of the year. And then if he continues to play this way, he's going to get a lot of value in the offseason from other teams as a free agent, unless he decides that he wants to stay here, which is always a possibility. But again, we won't burn that bridge until we get to it once the season comes to an end and we're into the offseason. Now, Let's shift over to Monday's game against the Utah Jazz. So the Utah Jazz were relatively, relatively healthy. And look, just going to call it like it is. Donovan Mitchell is just one of the most impressive shooters I see in our game today. I mean, this guy, very similar to like Kevin Durant, he just knocks down shots that you just don't think are going in, but they end up going in anyway. And it's just kind of a crazy 
crazy situation. He led the way for Utah with 30 points, three rebounds, three assists. Mike Connolly had arguably one of his better games of the season. I mean, it was really funny how it felt like he was shooting rainbow threes and they were going in. And it was getting frustrating from this, from that standpoint. Then you have Jordan Clarkson, who arguably is the best six man in the NBA. There's no question about it. He had 19 coming off the bench. I mean, he is a guy that the Jazz have absolutely loved since they were able to get him. But Kevin Durant, again, was the man of the moment. He dropped 37 points, nine rebounds, eight assists. And you could see, you could clearly see the excitement that Kevin Durant had feeding off the crowd and getting into it. Once you start seeing him knocking down shots and celebrating the way he was, you could tell he's in a zone, that nobody's going to stop him. And he was just knocking down threes. He would just take the ball off the court and just straight up pull up no matter who was on him, and he would score And the one thing that impressed me about Kevin Durant more than anything else is simply the fact that this guy has worked at his craft so much that he's able to make shots that nobody else can really make. Here's a really good example. Whenever Kevin Durant gets the ball down in the low post, he and he's backing up, he's backing in on somebody, right? He turns around and elevates himself with his left or right knee to the point where he makes himself several inches taller. So that even if he's on a big, he's still able to take the shot well over the defender's arms and, and knock it down. And the crazy thing is that it's not only going in, it's twitching in, which again shows you how much Kevin Durant consistently works at his craft. And it's just phenomenal. Um, I should mention uh, to be more correct that this was the game that um, that Kevin Durant was able to move past Jerry West until to the 11 most points in NBA history. Um, it's only going to be probably I would say by the time we finish the game against Miami um, this upcoming um, this upcoming weekend that Kevin Durant will probably pass Reggie Miller as well. So Kevin Durant continues to climb the all time scoring leader, and uh, I would say when it's all said and done, he's probably going to be top three at least top five I mean there's I I just can't I just can't see him not doing that then you had Bruce Brown who dropped 22 points arguably his best overall game I mean it's crazy to think about and I mentioned this before but I'll mention it again it is crazy to think about the fact that since the James Harden trade Bruce Brown just took his game to two higher levels. He just decided that he was going to come out and be, you know, the biggest factor in a lot of these games. And yes, we've seen Kyrie and KD have 50, 60 point games, but Bruce Brown has been consistently scoring 15 plus points a night as a starter and also playing really, really good defense, showing us the Bruce Brown that we saw a lot of last year. We had questions about him earlier in the year that he wasn't doing the same type of damage that he was doing last season. Now we're seeing it here and we're seeing it at the right time because once we get in the playoffs and we need guys to step up defensively, Bruce Brown is somebody that can create those turnovers, create breakaway opportunities going the other way and getting fast break points. It's very, very important. So that was really good. Uh, Nick Claxton, I felt like had a really solid game, 15 points, a guy that was really doing well. It was kind of a question as to why exactly he was starting in this game. But then we found out that uh, Drummond was dealing with a non-COVID illness. Um, so luckily it wasn't anything serious and uh, kind of go from there. The scary part, unfortunately, was the fact that Seth Curry did get hurt early in this game and did not return. And they called it a left ankle or left Achilles strain, I believe it was. So he didn't play this game. He didn't play in the game against um, against Memphis on Wednesday. There still is some question marks as to whether or not he will be able to play against uh, Miami or um 
I forgot who else they're playing this weekend. Uh, Charlotte as well this weekend, uh, if he'll be okay. But when Steve Nash spoke to the media, he said that it wasn't doom and gloom. It didn't seem like it was anything major. So that's kind of the, whew, you know, kind of catch a break there. But we got to be we got to be careful because we really can't afford to have more of our main guys be out long term. But then again, it's just kind of one of those things where it's just like one adversity after another it just keeps coming and coming and coming. But uh, the Nets fought hard again in another close matchup and won this game 114 to 106. So that was really, really important. Very important to get that win and kind of go from there. And, uh, you know, like I said, just make you just make you feel good. And getting wins in six of your last seven games, you can't help but feel confident that this team is getting better with every game. The chemistry is there, and it's it's really, really good to see. And that makes me really excited. Patty Mills really, again, just struggled. And I'll talk about him a little bit more when we recap the game against Memphis. But he still was able to pass Joe Harris for the second most three-pointers made in a single season in Nets history. I do believe that when this season is all said and done, Patty Mills will most likely pass D'Lo, um, especially if Mills can get on a hot streak like he was earlier in the year. You saw Blake Griffin come off the bench and really, really make some plays, nearly had himself 10 points. I really want to see him play a lot more and certainly get the minutes that James Johnson has been getting because uh, uh, Blake Griffin has earned a lot more minutes because he brings so much energy, so much hustle, and it's really, really important. So that's kind of the thing that I looked at with that situation. So again, back-to-back wins at home. Again, still depleted with some guys being out left and right. But nonetheless, finding a way to win the game, you know, regardless, is the point that, um, that we're all trying to make. The NHL season has been packed with dirty dangles, hat tricks, and big wins. As the action rolls on, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has your shot to win big too. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's right. A bump in the win column for your team meets free bets for you. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state, don't worry. You still have a shot to light the lamp. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to bet just $1 on any NHL team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. 21 or older, restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So now you go to the game on Wednesday night, national TV in Memphis against the second best team in the NBA record-wise in the Memphis Grizzlies. John Morant was not playing in this game. You knew Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were definitely going to be playing in this game. Drummond was going to be back. We're still without Aldridge, still without Ben Simmons. Seth didn't play in this game. But still... You felt confident that this was a game that the Nets should win and that they had to win because, yes, the Grizzlies are very good, but John Morant makes that team go. That's the way that that I looked at it in this game. And it wasn't great that we gave up 40 points in the first quarter, but then again, that's just been our defense for most of the year. But you saw in the second and third quarters, the Nets started to battle back. They came all the way back, ended up taking the lead, had a lead going into the fourth quarter, and then. With about 
three uh, we're about well, I think it was like two or three minutes into the into the fourth um and the Nets were down by three Steve Nash allowed Desmond Bain to knock down two quick three-pointers to go from being down three to being down nine and he did not Steve Nash did not do anything about it he just continued to allow the Grizzlies to go what it was eventually I think like a 15-0 run and it ultimately cost us the game and this was a point of contention between myself to people I was interacting with on social media. And I totally get where people were coming from because when you look at the game itself, right? And the Nets ended up losing this game, by the way, it, by double digits, 132 to 120. And the fact that, again, that uh, John Morant was not playing did not make the whole, did not make the loss any better. But when you look at some of the guys that we have coming off the bench, guys like Patty Mills, guys like Cam Thomas, certainly James Johnson, because we have no choice, they did not show up in this game. Patty Mills had no points and had one rebound, arguably his worst game of the season. He sold, quite frankly. He just had a bad game. Uh, Cam Thomas, four points, but he missed a lot of shots that were open jump shots. Don't know what happened to him. And then James Johnson, for one of the many times we've seen this year, was literally no factor. And it drives me nuts that he gets as many minutes as he does. I don't get it. And then Blake Griffin just doesn't play at all. And I don't understand what the thinking is with that. And you look at Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Kyrie had 43, and you had Kevin Durant with 35. That is what, 78 points. 78 of the 120 points came from courtesy of our two main guys. Bruce Brown still had a pretty decent game with 13.7 rebounds and an assist. Andre Drummond actually didn't play all that poorly, 15 points, five rebounds. Um, but to me, me personally speaking alone, I put this loss on Steve Nash because this is one of the many times that number one, he allowed the other team to get on a 10 plus point run and didn't do anything to stop it, regardless of how many timeouts he had left. Number two, his whole decision-making when it comes to when he decides to take out Katie or Kyrie is always ass backwards and it infuriates me and why the hell do we still play James Johnson consistent minutes when a guy like Blake Griffin comes off the bench like he did against Utah and nearly had himself a 10-point night and was really good I don't understand what the thinking process is I don't get what is being decided from Steve Nash it really is frustrating and one thing that I want to point out is this, and this is something that I thought about with somebody else I was talking talking to about Steve Nash. You know, when Mike D'Antoni was here last year, we didn't notice Steve Nash's coaching as much as we've noticed this year, even though Nash made bad decisions last year. But I think what Mike D'Antoni did that was good was that he actually was able to help Steve Nash understand some things when it comes to coaching. Now that D'Antoni left, and Steve Nash is quote-unquote all alone, so to speak. No disrespect to the assistant coaches that we have, but he doesn't have that mentor anymore. Now Steve Nash is free to make those really dumb mistakes that he has made several times. Now, I am not going to forget about the fact that Patty Mills, Cam Thomas, James Johnson, and even Nick Claxton, to a lesser extent, 
really, really didn't help out the cause here. Just flat out didn't. KD, Kyrie, Bruce Brown, Andre Drummond were literally the only four guys, in my opinion, that showed up in this game. I saw Kessler Edwards get himself a couple of points, but that was about it. We allowed Memphis to really do whatever they wanted. And yes, Memphis threw up threes that were just going in. Desmond Bain, have a night, man. Like, it was just unbelievable the amount of shots that Memphis was making. But again, they were at home. The crowd was behind them. They're playing Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving in the nets. You know, they're, you know they have all this stuff going for them. So that's just what it, even with John Morant not playing in this game. But to me, there was still no excuse from Steve Nash's perspective to allow the Grizzlies to go on a 10-plus point run when you were only down by three at that point and in a dogfight and allow the, the Grizzlies to take control of the game in the fourth. That single-handedly, in my opinion, cost them the game because even despite the guys like I just mentioned, Mills, Thomas, and Johnson not doing anything, the Nets were winning that game going into the fourth. So that was just another classic Steve Nash doesn't know what the hell he's doing mistake. And it just infuriates me because that's a game that you should not lose. I know you're on the road. I know you're not at full strength, but the Grizzlies didn't have John Morant and the Grizzlies are a good team. Do not get me wrong. Okay. Tyrus Jones had a good game, 16 points. Dylan Brooks, 21. Jaron Jackson Jr. at 13. Bain at 23. You had Melton and Clark and Anderson coming off the bench with 10 plus points. Melton at 23 off the bench, but still. We have enough talent on this team that we've seen in other games that can do this. And I get that we're going to have off nights, but you're not going to win games when your coach leaves you out to dry like that. So that's what infuriated me about that whole situation. That was a game that Nets should have won. There was no excuse, especially when the Hornets and Raptors both lost as well that night. That was an opportunity to get one game away from Charlotte so they're not completely breathing down your neck and getting that much closer to jumping Toronto because, again, with the decision that was made by Eric Adams on Wednesday, which we'll talk about, it would behoove of the Nets to do everything possible to win these games, to jump Toronto, to give yourself home court advantage in the play-in game. So, that, to me, is one of those losses that I feel like is going to come back to haunt the Nets. I really hope that's not the case, but it's there. So it really sucked. That really sucked that we lost that game. And the, the, the tough part about it is that now we go to Miami on Saturday, which is going to be tough. And then you're playing Charlotte on Sunday. Those are two must win. As I mentioned before, every game to this point is a must win, including the game against Milwaukee next Thursday. These are all must-win games. You have to win. No excuses. Steve Nash has to, by the grace of the basketball gods above, has to find a way to stop running, stop putting himself in front of the bus. I mean, it just, you know that there are guys here that constantly when they come up the bench are making, you know, uh, impacts like Blake Griffin. Play him. Stop playing James Johnson. He does, For every one good play he makes, he makes five others that are dumb. So that's my point. So that sucked. That was a sucky loss that the Nets should not have had happen to them, but it happened. So, it you know, again, there isn't much we can really do at this point, and you kind of have to go from there. So with that loss and where we are right now at the time of this recording, the Nets are 38 and 35. 
They are now 22 and 16 on the road, 16 at nine at home. They've won six of their last 10 games, which is good, but still, again, is not great. Eighth in the Eastern Conference, and you look at it at the time of this recording, as uh, you know, the, the standings continue to screw me up here a little bit. The Nets are right now three games behind Toronto. They had a chance to get to two with that win if they had gotten it in Memphis, which really sucks. Um, but you do have an opportunity this weekend to get away from a team like Charlotte, who's one game behind you right now. Atlanta's two behind you. You have that pressure. And you're also standing in the situation where you are three games, only three behind the Cleveland Cavaliers for the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. There is still the possibility that the Nets could get on a run starting on Saturday and trying to get it. The Nets need to make it very clear to themselves that they cannot lose another game this year, regardless of what happens, where, wherever they finish. They cannot lose another game. They really can't. I know it's going to be tough, but you still have guys that are coming and you still have guys that are going to contribute. We have a very talented team that can win these games. And it's a matter of just going out there and doing it. And we saw what happened with uh, Miami a couple nights ago with the whole arguing between Jimmy Butler and Udonis Haslam. I don't know how much that's going to affect their team. Probably not at all. But if it does, then that gives the Nets another advantage as well. Games in Miami, you've got to find a way to win it. No excuses whatsoever. Now, about an hour before the game, before that game against Memphis, we got the news that I did not think was going to happen at all. I just did not believe it. The way that Eric Adams was talking, it just didn't seem possible that this was going to happen. But uh, Shams from the Athletic, Shams Sharania, he said this. He tweeted this out. Sources, Brooklyn Nets star Kyrie Irving will be cleared for home games as New York City will, on Thursday, change private sector vaccine mandate to allow exemption for athletes and entertainers in workplace. Unvaccinated Yankees and Mets players, i.e., I think basically Aaron Judge, also now eligible for home games. New York City Mayor Eric Adams will level the playing field for in-town athletes and performers to match the rule that allows unvaccinated individuals to perform in New York City. Sources familiar with the situation tell The Athletic and Stadium. Now New York City local athletes will have the same guidelines. Kyrie Irving is eligible to make his home debut at the Barclays Center on Sunday, this upcoming Sunday, versus the Charlotte Hornets, sources tell the Athletic and Stadium. New New York City exemption for in-town athletes and performers will be affected immediately beginning Thursday. So this is only the second day that this has happened. Wow. That just came out of nowhere. I mean, it just seemed like the last time Eric Adams spoke to spoke to the public, he said that we that the the Mets, the Yankees, the Knicks, and the Nets had to quote unquote wait their turn. I don't know what changed, but I'm happy about it. I will say this: in no way, Stephen A. put it, in no way is Kyrie Irving a hero because he was able to fight the power and get what he wanted. He still could have gotten vaccinated a long time ago, and we would have never had to be in this position in the first place. We wouldn't even be talking about it; nobody would care quite frankly. Um, but still, now the fact that Kyrie Irving can play in every single game except any game against Toronto in Toronto is big. And that's what makes getting the seventh seed or even getting the sixth seed that much more important because now, it, like you said, it levels the playing field. It gives Kyrie Irving a chance to, unless they play Toronto, in Toronto, play every single game. And that's massive. So now the expectation needs to be not only should the Nets make the playoffs, but they need to make a run. 
That is the expectation now with the team that, that we have assembled. And so it's just crazy that this happened. So I'm happy that Mayor, Mayor Eric Adams finally, quote unquote, made it make sense. And like you said, leveled the playing field, giving a guy like Kyrie Irving the opportunity to go out there and play every game. So you know that that first game on Sunday, it's going to be a packed house because Kyrie Irving is finally allowed to play in New York City. And so I'm I'm excited about it from a basketball standpoint. And uh, I'm sure Kyrie Irving and the Nets are just relieved now that uh, they got through this. So Kyrie Irving, starting on Sunday, will be allowed to play in every single home game for the Brooklyn Nets. And that is absolutely awesome. I, 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 like I said, I cannot tell you how great that really is. Now, the last quick thing I wanted to mention here was two updates that we got about Ben Simmons, and they are very big updates. So let's, let's go with it. So the first one goes like this. The expectation, according to Shams Sharania, who at this point I feel like is becoming a Nets uh, reporter because he tweets mostly about the Nets nowadays, he said the expectation is that Ben Simmons will indeed play this season. It's just a matter of when. So that was the first report we got. Then, then, on Friday, Friday morning, more or less, or Friday afternoon, the up here was an update again from Shams saying Steve Nash says that Ben Simmons is feeling a lot less pain in his back. Also, Seth Curry and Goran Dragic are probable for tomorrow's game at Miami. So we have gotten now a ton of good news from a player perspective over the last 24 to 48 hours. Now, we still have no timeline for Ben Simmons. Do I think that there's a chance he will play, you know, in the regular season? I think my full expectation, he'll play either one or two games at the end of the regular season. That's what I think is going to happen. And then we'll see what happens in the playoffs and kind of go from there. And the Nets are going to try to do the unthinkable, the unprecedented, which is to try to win a championship while building chemistry in late March, early April, which is, again, unheard of. And if the Nets are able to even just get to the conference finals, despite everything, that to me is a successful season. Yes, I'd love to see the Nets win the championship this year and make this one of the greatest um, seasons in Nets history, despite everything that happened. But we do have to be realistic. We do have to be realistic about everything. And yes, having Katie and Kyrie every night now gives us an advantage in a lot of these games. And the fact that we have an opportunity to get into the playoffs as a seventh or eighth seed, yes, facing, you know, the potentially Philadelphia 76ers, the Boston Celtics, the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, yeah, it, it's a daunting task, but we're the underdog. We don't have the pressure that some of these other teams have to say, you have to beat this team. This is your reward for getting one of the high seeds. You have to face the Brooklyn Nets. Um, so, yeah, it's great that we're finally getting some positive news because we need it. Um, and hopefully, it, it hopefully, knock on wood, we just are able to move aside from all of the nonsense we've gotten these last several months, and we can just focus on winning basketball games. And it starts on Saturday against Miami, and then on Sunday, you no ex, no excuses. You have to go out there and win, win these games. I don't care if you blow out the team or win by one. You got to win these games. You got to put yourself in the driver's seat to have home court advantage, whether it's as a sick, you know, whether it's in the play-in round or not, you have to give yourself every possibility as, as much as you can think of to win these games. You have to. So hopefully the Nets can really, really get themselves going now, especially with Kyrie Irving playing full-time, Ben Simmons is on the way, and now you got Seth Curry 
Goran Dragic and even um, LaMarcus Aldridge uh, slowly but surely getting back into the lineup as well. So we are starting to finally get to the full team that we wanted to see since the beginning of the season.